We all do it. We scroll through our feeds, seeing people who have been in and out of our lives. We see their causes, beliefs, and sometimes even a moral compass, show-offs. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in the story behind the pictures. I think it's time to have a conversation. Well, to everyone listening, um, this week my guest is Colin Wells. He is an Army infantry veteran who served four years, including a 13-month tour in Afghanistan um, from July 2009 to August 2010. He is both an advocate for the outdoors and cannabis, which led to the creation of Veterans Walk and Talk. I saw him on an Instagram Live where he shared his story, and I just knew I had to connect with him. In one of our email correspondences, he wrote, and I'm going to just paraphrase this a little bit, I've had a crazy past in Hollywood that led me to the Army Infantry and Afghanistan. I've been a drug addict in the worst way. I've shot myself to feel something. I've done so much to get here, and now I'm thriving because of my openness and honesty regarding life. (laughs) So I am so happy that he is here. Thank you so much for your service and for agreeing to come on and have the conversation. Um, I can't wait to see where this goes. So welcome, Colin. (laughs) Thank you you so much for having me. It's a a pleasure, and I really appreciate um, all those kind words. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. I just, I saw you on the Mommy Janes Live, like back in December, January of last year, and I was like, immediately I think I was like messaging you like we need to talk we need to talk (laughs) that's right yeah no that was a great experience for me and um that was one of the first times I'd really come out um about you know to the cannabis community at least about how hard my addiction had been at at certain points especially when speaking about uh fatherhood and stuff but um Mm -hmm. it's important to create the narrative or not not create it but let people know what the narrative is to to your life so that you know I don't want people to think it was easy and I could I just smoked the bowl one day and all of a sudden everything was yeah, better you know what I mean we were just enlightened like, and life made sense and everything went back to how yeah exactly <laughs> Which, you know, in a lot of ways you know I got to give it up to cannabis it's pretty much it is like that in a lot of ways especially the more you dive into it but right you gotta do you gotta do the work and you gotta be open and honest and uh that's where I had my most um like my biggest revelation was just being honest with things because I was, I had used my, you know, what, what, you know, intelligence and upbringing I had um, in just such negative ways, conning doctors for so long to get, you know, drugs and stuff that just not telling the truth about myself had almost become second nature. Really? Um, Walk me through yeah, that. Who who was Colin and who is Colin now, I guess? Let's hear about that. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's such a long process, but I mean, yeah. basically, um, you know, I grew up uh, very, like, we were very poor for the first, you know, six, seven years of my life. Um, okay. Both my parents were in the entertainment industry, both actors at the okay. Groundlings Theater in Hollywood, and my dad directed at the time, and then... Um, about six years old, my parents split up and, uh, my mom started directing the theater. So I stayed at the Groundlings Theater. My dad moved kind of far away. I saw him weekends Mm -hmm. and my mom just got more and more involved in the theater. And so I really, I just grew up like a, just a theater kid in every way. Okay. Um, Did you you like that or no? Yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it. I was, I was raised by like. I like to say I was raised by like a million different people because all the actors that helped raise me, they had like 
you know, every character, they had characters they would do and mess around with me and stuff. So I, I, I never really knew what to expect going into the theater, but it was fun. They were always really good to me. But um, I did grow up pretty fast. And yeah. then, uh, you know, my mom had some success in the entertainment world. She, um, she was the voice of the Brave Little Toaster and wrote Casper and created most of the Animaniacs characters and uh, Tiny Toons. She wrote for that. And so... Which I learned you were a character on Animaniacs. I learned that this week, and I thought that was crazy. Yeah, Yeah, isn't that, that's my uh, kind of fame, and I apologize for the helicopter. You're okay. But, um, yeah, that is my claim to fame, and uh, so basically, yeah, my mom created a lot of the characters on Animaniacs, so um, I would, like, come home as a kid and tell these really quick stories that I guess seemed pretty out there, and and weird about friends of mine at school. And I guess some other friends of mine would do it. And so she created this character named Colin mm-hmm. who would just kind of run out of his house and tell these quick little outrageous stories about, you know, Randy Beeman falling asleep and dreaming about a marshmallow and then eating his pillow. You know what I mean? It's right. Just, no, we, my kids yeah. and I watched it last night and they thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So it still sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Well, you know what? That show Animaniacs is will never be replicated. It right. was like one of the best cartoons ever made, in my opinion. And I'm I know I'm biased, but uh, like they they I mean I could get into it and get into it, but they had an orchestra score every episode. You know they they just don't take those lengths anymore. So it was just yeah. a very special special time. But um, you know my mom worked. She worked and worked and worked and became successful. But I had to take care of myself in a lot of ways and. You know, I went snowboarding and we had money coming in. So I got to do a lot of cool stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just, I, I will admit that I was like spoiled. You know what I mean? Like I was, sure. I was like a spoiled entertainment kid with a lot of anger issues who wanted to constantly please everybody. And I was the type of guy who would kind of like, <laughs> you know, get some money together and send it on everybody else so that they would, you know, think, think nicely of me and stuff like that mm-hmm. and I knew that it was really like just fake and and I, I always felt that I always knew it and that really turned me off to the entertainment industry and um I could so when see I hurt myself happened. snowboarding I'm sorry <laughs> no um, I was just saying I could see where where that would happen where it would turn you right off. Yeah. Right, yeah so yeah when I hurt myself snowboarding and you know I just basically was given just mountains of Vicodin to, to deal with the pain. And, um, I just, that was my first tape, taste of opiates and like, and how old were you? I was about 18 years old, Okay. which, you know, it's just, it's just crazy to me that they would give. And I, I'm really sorry, Cal. I don't know. We never have helicopters here. It's like no, that's okay. Right. This is what happens. It's, it's the realness. It's the realness. That's right. um, I'm being chased actually as we speak. I'm being chased. So. Really? Uh, (laughs) Uh, um, so yeah so you know like uh it was it was just like I said I was taking care of myself I had a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. that I had earned and then so by the time opiates found me you know my mom did the best she could but I was already kind of off to the races and angry and did you you feel like at that time you think I'm sorry did you feel invincible at that time you think like that you were just um, to do it all or did you not even care? Yeah, like I was a definite, just overly confident. Um, invincible is a good word. Uh, lost. Um, 
I just, you know, I kept escalating and looking for a deeper and deeper high and then eventually got on really hard drugs, uh, you know, fentanyl, Oxycontin, mm. that kind of thing, and um, Vanex. And, yeah, it got really bad to the point in 2007 where, yeah, I did have a gun and um, I was just out of my mind on Xanax. And, you know, it was a very bad night and uh, it was my low point. And, mm. um and I, from that, from that point on, uh, it was like a wake up call. And for the next year, I tried different things to try to improve myself. Eventually wandered to a recruiter station in, uh, Bullhead city, Arizona, after a poker tournament at a CD Laughlin casino <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, proceeded to just join I think they were they were I, I it's hard for me to remember because I was very like out of it but um mm -hmm. pretty sure they were just opening that morning when I had wandered kind of over to where the recruiter was and I went in there and just kind of as a joke and they were doing that um forty thousand dollar surge forty thousand oh. dollars forty thousand troop surge um so they were actually lowering the age restrictions and some of like my knee surgeries weren't going to matter anymore so the recruiters were very anxious to get me in mm -hmm. and I did, I got into the infantry and I, before I knew it, it all really happened so fast. I'm telling you, like I was like a month and they told me I had to get drugs out of my system and, you know, have a clean UA and then I could join up and just take off. Mm -hmm. So, um, I barely had a clean UA, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, joining the infantry, not really knowing anything about what I was getting myself into. Right. And, um, you know, I always make the joke that, like, uh, I was kind of withdrawing from drugs while in basic training there, but... Um, oh, I believe it. So, yeah, but everybody was so sick and tired from the lack of sleep and bad food that I just fit right in. <laughs> and no, nobody could even really notice. Like, so I, uh, you know, I, it was cool. Like, for once, I wasn't... For once, I, I had like a new start. Like I really felt like these, none of these people know me. None of these people have any preconceived notions of me. Mm -hmm. I can really just start from scratch and try to build myself up. And that's what I did. I, I took it really seriously. And um, I loved the Army. I was you good did. at it. Uh, I was a good leader. And I, I thrived. Um I did tear my ACL in my knee again while while in basic training, and we kind of, you know, hid that fact, my drill sergeants and I, so I could get to a unit okay. and deploy because I, that's all I really wanted to do. And um, so I deployed to Afghanistan on a really bad knee, and that hurt me some more. Mm. But uh, joining the Army was a means to an end to, like, the first half of my addiction problems, and mm -hmm. it really helped me learn responsibility and a new lease on life but then it also traumatized me and gave me a whole new set of problems how long um, were you um sober for or i guess clean uh, well i was sober for about four years while i was in the army yeah More, okay. i mean i mean but i wouldn't say sober because i mean i was off pills but i was drinking like crazy all the time and oh really just filled the void yeah yeah, even, else. yeah, yeah. You drank, yeah, it's in the culture, you know, you just drink, you drink and smoke cigarettes and because we're infantrymen and we never know, kind of just live hard, you know what I mean? It's just kind of in the culture. And so 
just drank a lot. And then I finally got, when I got back from Afghanistan, I, I and, you know, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. I was in, um, the Battle of Marja in February 2010. It's actually, uh, yeah, it's I actually saw your video. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years ago today was like the technical start of the battle. So, um, you know, we did a lot in our, in our, you know, little in our year there. And, uh, it was just a very violent deployment, a lot mm-hmm. of, lot of violence just all around. Not even, I mean, we lost some guys, but, um, you know, I just have a lot of issues with dogs, like dogs passing in front of me and uh, just um, just life in general. And just it created a lot of intrusive thinking and PTSD and traumatic brain injury. I was blown up a couple of times in Afghanistan. And uh, mm. so, um, so, you know, I've always kind of shouldered the weight of the world on, on myself. Um, mm-hmm just kind of how I've always been and uh I can tell the army you know like it was good for me in the sense that I was able to like kind of be a leader and help other guys with their problems but I was just I never really addressed my addiction problem I just kind of shoved it to the side and pretended like being a good soldier made it all go away Uh, so when I uh when I had the two knee surgeries after Afghanistan and they were giving me Percocets and Adderall. They diagnosed me with ADD, by the way, which I recently got taken off my record. I okay. never had ADD. I don't know how that happened. I've never. It was just so they could give me Adderall for some reason. And I guess I don't. It's hard for me to remember exactly, but I'm. I'm pretty sure I didn't say no. <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I didn't. You know, I didn't. I probably encouraged it, but uh, it's just weird that you know I, I left the army on. Oh, on more t- drugs than I was on before when I was at my low, you know what I mean? Wow. And, um, Wild to think about. Yeah. yeah, and it was all because, like, I didn't want the knee surgery. I was in great shape, best shape of my I'm sorry? You did not want the surgery? No, I did not. I did not want the knee surgery. I'd already had two knee surgeries in my life. Um, I was running and rucking, and I had a good PT score. I was in good shape. I wasn't in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I was basically standing at attention when they, uh, when they, you know, they, I had no say. They just see a paper. They see a torn ACL on a piece of paper, and they line you up for surgery. Wow. So, uh, but that surgery didn't take. And my ACL is torn now. Um, it's still torn. Uh, it's been torn for years and it's never going to be okay now. Um, cause like they've done too many surgeries. There's literally no more surgery they can do. But, uh, <laughs> so I, like, I didn't even, I didn't even need all that to happen, which really just gets to me. Cause like, I was good. I, I was really okay. I could have, I could have maintained and they really butchered my leg up kind of, I think they saw me as like a, I felt like a like a because I'd had knee problems in the past and that mm-hmm. I was having like odd knee problems that these these surgeons who happened to be colonels they wanted they saw me as a challenge you know what I mean oh, and wow. like yeah and so that's how I felt I always felt like a challenge like oh we're gonna get this cut wells we're gonna get this for you it's like I don't need it but you know whatever you say sir you know yeah um and then um, next thing you know I'm they're supposed to do like orthopedic surgery and they 
while I was under, they cut me open like 13 inches down my leg because they said they found something else. And it's just, it's, I can't ask questions because I'm enlisted and it's just all crazy, you know. And here I am with this addict's mentality. So I just kind of say, well, you know, fuck it. I'll just let them give me the drugs. You know what I mean? Because yeah. here, I, here I am, like, I like them anyway. And here yeah, I you know what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have this great excuse. Yeah. So I just kind of went down that path again it was really sad it really hurt and um you know it got really bad to the point where you know i i I had no support which is 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 important to say like the military they break up your unit when you get back from a deployment which is just crazy to me because like these were my family and my brothers like i we they should have let us stay together for a little bit and process things together i think but they broke us up so fast i did not know that they did that that's interesting yeah they do because well a lot of like i i had this contract for a certain amount of time other guys have you know they want to deploy right away or they have a different contract or they re-enlisted and they're going to a different unit it's just it's just very common and it's hard it's hard on the guys who are hurt especially because in the infantry, when you're seen on crutches, you're just basically like thrown to the side. It's they make you do like the worst details, and yeah. So here I was, this great soldier who had done all this great stuff in Afghanistan, and then I get all new guys all around me, all new leadership, everything, and uh, I'm on crutches, and they they don't all they see is a guy on crutches, and it just really just made me want to just withdraw even more, take even more drugs, which I did, and to the point where I started like buying Oxycontin, you know, off base from guys and smoking it. And um, then I, I got a, you know, I got out of the military, honorable discharge and everything. And went came back to Los Angeles with my wife at the time and addiction just cycled, got worse and worse. And, um, you know, got to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. And I, you know, I, we weren't really right for each other anyway. And so it just boiled over and, yeah. I went to the VA and stayed there for, you know, better part of four months. And then again for another seven months later on. Wow. And I lived, yeah, I lived at the VA trauma treatment center, combat trauma treatment center for a while wow. there. And, um, what was that um, like? Uh, well, first when you, so if you're a veteran and you are say having suicidal thoughts, um, you what or like addiction and suicidal thoughts and all that like I was what they do is that you go to the ER and then they they take you from the ER to a place where they can watch you and then once they deem you're okay and stable they put you in a shelter um so in my case I went to a shelter called the Haven which is on the Salvation Army and it, it's it's called the Haven but man it's just like the worst shithole on the planet like really? uh, it, I wouldn't say that not the worst shithole on the planet there's definitely worse places but, <laughs> right. um yeah, but it's, it's it's very bad, and you're in a room with, like, three other homeless vets, um, so it's guys who have just, you know, been going through it a lot, and it's just an ugly scene, and so you stay there for a few weeks until they can find you a bed at one of the treatment facilities, and so in my case, I was at the, the Haven for nearly a month. It was really hard. How old were you at that time? I was about 30. Okay. 31. 
Yeah. Or were you just feeling like used up and so old, like everything's just done? Because like, that's what I, I think I would feel like, like, gosh, I just not know who I know who I am. Yeah. And I was just in so much pain and like alone. And yeah, I definitely, you know, I, um, I started, you know, before I checked myself in and, you know, in between a little bit, you know, I, I had a couple suicide attempts where I, you know, I took pills and mm. my mom found me asleep on the, you know, toilet and was able to help me in time and um you know it just really got bad so that's why I was checking myself in to get help and uh and it was good for a while but the 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 thing about the VA is is they they have these rules that they make you live by which I understand to a certain extent but um it's a very barbaric, antiquated system, the way they deal with addicts at the VA or or even trauma, in my opinion. It's been a few years, but mm-hmm. at the time it was very, like, you know, talk therapy, like just very traditional ways of tackling it, like no thinking outside the box, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, um, yeah, and it just didn't work. It didn't work for, I mean, they had such a low success rate, uh, guys would leave there and use almost immediately. So, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, what, can I ask place. like what, what you said it was just like traditional kind of ways of how, like what were some of the things that they were trying to like tell you therapy, to do? Um, okay. Yeah. 12 step, uh, narcotics anonymous, mm-hmm. alcoholics anonymous, more, more that kind of gotcha. like, pre-written ways of dealing with addicts and not personalized PTSD. at all yeah I got it <laughs> right yeah it wasn't personalized yeah exactly yeah. exactly okay. and um and yeah so like I spent 11 months there total and I I was you know a leader in, in the group there it was the combat trauma treatment center at the West LA VA mm-hmm. and um you know, I was on the board and everything. And then one day I get a little argument with my roommate and we're, we're like combat veterans. So we get a little heated. It, it, <laughs> it, it ends, but they heard us yelling and made us leave and made me leave. They were after all that time. And I really didn't take it well. I got really upset and I ended up, um, you know, just, like they saw me as just an angry veteran, not a guy who needed help. And instead of helping me, they just put me in the back of a police car and brought me to a padded room and shoved me full out of it and drugs and shit. I'm oh like, my gosh. yeah, literally like 11 months of like sobriety and, and doing well. And I got back in my son's life and all this stuff. And I get in one argument, just one. And they see, they'd see it deemed fit to, pump Adam Adavan into me and stick me in like literally a padded room that had a lock on it. Like it was like that. It was awful. And, um, I was actually able to sneak my phone in and I do have video of them doing that to me. So I, I been holding on to that for a long time. It's hard for me to watch. I would, uh, I would it's hard for me to hear. So I can't imagine like just, yeah. And like, seriously, I have the videos and I will show them eventually. But, um, and even like while they're, I'm like screaming, like, please, can I see a doctor? I, can I see my doctor, Dr. Haas, who was my doctor at the time? And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm just, their alarm system was broken. And so they're going, we're sorry. And like, so the, I'm here, I am alone in a padded room, 
they make me take out of them and then the alarm system's broken so every few minutes it's fire alarms like oh yeah it was like torture I felt like I was being tortured I really did I I, I was so scared I, I I honestly I honestly thought they were torturing me like messing with me mm-hmm. um but they, they weren't I uh, you know obviously but uh so yeah, I endured that, and that was the end of my my stay there. But luckily, um, you know, can I, I was able can to I get ask you a question about of, your yeah, stay sure. before we move on a little bit? Um, yeah. You said after that one argument, have you thought about like what would you have liked to see them do differently than what was approached? Oh, I would have. They should have just came and talked to my roommate and I and said, "Listen, yeah, we heard you guys were arguing. We heard some really harsh things were said. Is it okay now?" Mm-hmm. And we would have said, "Yes, absolutely." We hugged. We squashed it. We're good. But instead, they just came and escalated it wow. and made it worse. Okay, I just wanted to understand that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't know. I, I've always been outspoken. I could go on with conspiracy theories about how they because I was trying to get them to change things there. I don't know, you know. I yeah. Know. All, all I know is I was there one minute. The next minute I'm not. I don't have anywhere to go. Um, you know, I have my mom in L.A. She, you know, she knows how well I'm doing. We have a relationship again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't want to – I'm just freaking out. I don't want to call her and be like, hey, mom, like I am got kicked out of the place. Like, Yeah. It's not going to look good, you know what I mean? It's right, not absolutely. Good. And I'm concerned that my ex-wife's going to, you know, what she's going to think. Is she going to take away time with my son because of all this? And, you know, it's, when you've done the things I've done and, and been an addict like that, you may be in the right and you may be completely right about how you were fucked over. But it's hard for people to believe you when not much time has passed because it's a kind of catastrophizing, like, drama you would make up in the past in order to get the attention or get people to feel sorry for you so they wouldn't judge you for being an addict mm. so so here I am like I want to tell my mom this happened I want I want help but I also don't want to break the trust we've built up the past few months yeah but luckily you know my mom saw that I wasn't using and she let me stay at her place for a while but um that's a lot of pressure you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you're supposed to leave this place, this VA's place with a certificate and a plan and all this, you know, it's supposed to be like a place to live, all this stuff, not just you're there one minute and then the next minute your stuff's like outside waiting for you, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Take your bags and go. And yeah. yeah. The fact that they can do that to any veteran is just unbelievable. Like they, I, I had no have, idea. I had no idea. Yeah. You have to be interviewed for these beds. Like here, I was living in a shelter at the Salvation Army, and I had to I had to get dressed, shower, and like interview for a bed to get help. Like they they need to see that you're even worth helping. It's it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. Like like you should if you're a veteran, you should get help no matter what. You Absolutely, know, you have to, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You should have to earn it. Uh, yeah. Well, you uh, did earn it. I know that. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. There's people that take advantage of in any in any situation. There's people right. that take advantage, but when it comes to veterans, you've got to give us the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Um. So yeah, I just I was very. I mean, in a lot of ways, 
you know, looking back, that was a huge wake-up call for me because I really, at, for the first time, saw how how much veterans were being disserviced mm-hmm. um, for firsthand. I'd always heard stories, but, you know, for, I was, like, literally seeing firsthand, like, I know I didn't do anything wrong here, but everybody's treating me like the bad guy. And, like, there's nothing you can do except just take it because this is the position you put yourself in. Um, yeah, gosh. So I just did the work. I stuck with my, my therapist, um, and that did help me, but I did have a relapse pretty bad after that. Um, during the time my son was very young, um, mm-hmm. I happened, it's just crazy. I just happened to hook up with a friend from high school, and her and her boyfriend were heroin dealers. And so they came over just on a whim and were like, hey, what do you want some heroin? And I was, of course, I was like, yes, I want heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was still just not able to cope. I didn't have the coping tools I needed. I was traumatized. You hadn't got to do the trauma work yet. You weren't even given that opportunity yet in a fair, in a fair, safe space at all. That's right. That's true. And I was forced, you know, to self-medicate in a lot of ways. And I was in so much physical pain that was undiagnosed, my back and my knees and my shoulders, everything was hurting. I was getting headaches. Yeah. I wasn't sleeping, you know, it's just awful. It was and, your numbing you know, agent, yeah. <laughs> right, and now we know I'm a, I'm a 100% permanent disabled veteran now through the military, which is great, and they helped me a lot, but, uh, you know, these were all, the, all these diagnoses that I have now, they were still going on then, they were just undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I did start smoking heroin, I never shot it, I smoked it, and it was honestly the first few times for, for like a month I just uh really felt like I, I like I'd found the answer to life you know like this is going to help me get through life but you uh, did okay yeah but it was a nightmare obviously I mean it was just right. a nightmare uh the heroin and I what did made you think month. that what made you like what did you feel like was going to change it around I guess what you mean like get me off it no, like you said, you thought you had the answer for like those few months with it. So what was like oh, speaking to you in that time? Do you remember? Yeah, no, I just remember that like instead of um, waking up and drinking Jack Daniels and being sick and miserable, I could just wake up and smoke a little speck of this magic powder or, or a putty and like feel amazing okay. and like talk with yeah. talk with my friends and my mom and I was loving and I was open but I had to go back and hit that shit every hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, was that uh, their experience yeah. with you? Do you know? Like, did they? No, no, not at all. Not, okay. even. <laughs> yeah. not even. Yeah, no, it's totally delusional. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just yeah, it's, not, it's totally delusional. Um, I was a total mess. Unable, unable, people were just was unable to be around me. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I was just, you know, kicking and withdrawing for about a week from from not having any opiates and it was getting bad and I called an old friend of mine named Alex and he kind of conned me into coming over by telling me that he would make me tea with opium in it mm-hmm. and uh and help me get out and you know like give me a little bit at a time so that I could just like wean off it and get better but what he did was he came over and he made me tea and said there was opium in it but it was really just like a CBD THC tincture okay and uh I drank the tea and I thought it was heroin or opium. And mm-hmm. uh, so psychologically that helped a lot. But I, I honestly, I, I never forget 
that feeling of like I was so anxious and all of a sudden I thought I'd take out take an opium it was that strong and uh I just sat there and I played video games with him and I was laughing and I was crying and yeah. I was feeling like I was just feeling and like you felt like you know, you were supposed to feel or like how you wanted to feel right yeah and you know I don't even remember because I was so out of it at the time but I don't remember him breaking the news to me that it wasn't opium that it was cannabis but I remember taking it very well mm-hmm. and uh and then he would go to the dispensary for me for a few weeks after that and I would just be like, hey, I need some weed. And he'd bring me some weed. And I would be smoking and kind of just withdrawing and, and crying and and screaming and shaking in the corner. But I was getting through it because I had the cannabis. And um, then, uh, you know, he would tell me, he'd be like, you know, you they have these, you know, I know you know this because I, I did have one before the Army, a medical marijuana card. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, you can just get your own. And I don't have to go buy it for you anymore. I'm like, yeah, that's smart idea I should probably do that uh, yeah it's so silly and um it's so silly and, and so I did and uh I um I got that and I started feeling better and I met a girl um I, I, by, by the way I kind of skipped over that um after my mom got me situated after being kicked out of the VA I did go live in the mountains alone for a while and did drugs off and on and just kind of lived in the Santa Monica mountains, more or less homeless um, uh, before coming back to my mom's and trying this, this tincture with my friends. And, uh, and then once I started really sampling cannabis, you know, for ailments rather than just smoking it to get high, I started feeling better and um, being more sociable and eventually got a girlfriend um, who was living in an RV with her family, her kids, mm-hmm. and uh, um, up in the mountains too. And we hit, we got along for a while. It didn't work out, but I subsequently started going to actual like uh, more medicinal dispensaries, more like upscale, nicer ones, especially yeah. one called 90, Ninety Nine High Tide in Malibu. Okay. Um, okay. Where I would get. It, I mean, and they, it, they tell you too. I mean, it's admittedly it's very expensive there because it's, it's like a very exclusive. Right. It's Malibu. Nice, <laughs> nice, yeah, it's very nice. Um, like the, the one of the, someone comes out, escorts you back, you have their attention the whole time, you know, like it's nice. really nice. Yeah. Um, so I started buying, I mean, I love United on High Tide if you guys hear this, but overpriced <laughs> but high quality cannabis. Um, and found that, you know, I could smoke lamb's bread in the morning and get through my anxiety without being tired and then smoke, you know, uh, Gorilla Glue at night and, and be asleep and have no pain. And like, I just started discovering this, this, how diverse it all was. And, yeah. Yeah. All the different yeah. strains and what they can do for you and not necessarily yeah, to exactly. you. <laughs> Sativa, yeah. Indica, daytime, nighttime, all this stuff. And I'd already, I'd always kind of known about it, but I didn't really give it much thought. And, um, well, you didn't treat and, it as medicine, like you said earlier. Yeah, I mean, no, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, when I used opiates and drugs, I, I mean, marijuana, cannabis is always around, but I had no time for it. I, I didn't want to feel anything but the drugs I was on. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I just started, you know, getting back into nature because I was living in it. And then, uh, <laughs> 
the cannabis helped me with the pain and anxiety. So I started getting out of bed more mm-hmm. and getting just, you know, cause I was living in the woods. So I started hiking a lot and, um, I just started, you know, when you're in the infantry, you do these things called ruck marches where you put on, um, you know, one of those big packs in your armor and everything. And you just march. It's like, it's a form of a workout. Okay. And, uh, it's one of our favorite things to do. It's a good workout. It's good for us. It's team building. Uh, and it just felt like that. It felt like ruck marching again. And I was just walking, you know, smoking good weed and enjoying myself. And, uh, and before long, you know, I just had the little concept to share and invite other veterans to come hike with me so that I would have someone to talk to and also someone to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Now, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, that was kind of the catalyst for it was just a need to connect with someone else. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um, your divorce, not in like details by any, by any means, but you said it just didn't work out. And what, I guess in between um, going to the VA, did you get divorced before you went to the VA for the first four months? I'm just trying to find yeah. the, the Yeah. Deadline. I mean, okay. I got, I got, I got ser- served with my divorce papers while I was waiting for my bed at the Salvation Army. Okay. And did you get yeah. to see your son any time during that when you were at the Salvation Army? Oh, my son there? wasn't born then. He was oh, okay. born in 2014. Okay, okay. So, so this was 2012, 2013. Okay, okay. But wow. so yeah, he was born and that's when he was born was when I started doing heroin for about two months and then I got clean. Okay. So I had like one last really bad falling off and then I got clean. Yeah. What's your relationship um, with him now? I'm sorry? I said, what's your relationship with him now? Oh, man. It's killer. So strong. He's he's my best friend. You know, (laughs) he lives in North Carolina. Yeah. We Skype twice a week, and I visit him as often as possible. I'm going. uh, His birthday is on March 2nd, so I'm going to see him soon. Awesome. And, I mean, like, you know, he's four now, so it's gotten to the point where he can ask to see me and he's asking can you stay longer can you come do this I want to you know he's asking to see me and yeah um being a dad is like you know it's everything to me it's what I've always wanted I always wanted to be a father um I love being a father and I want to I want to be as present in his life as possible and I'm super lucky and I say this all the time that I get to benefit from all the cannabis advocates and pioneers who have come before us because I get to medicate so freely and be able to see my son even even though he's in North Carolina just because of all the work everybody's done leading up to this time even though it is pretty contentious um, because of all the work these people have done I'm able to medicate fairly reasonably and be a part of my son's life and I'm so grateful for that but um, there's a lot of work, work left to do of course of course. But, yeah. Uh, Do you not, you didn't see him for a while, correct? I think I remember you talking about that on the live. Um, you know, even though, even though month is a while when you're a dad, right. but yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see him for about eight months to a year. Um, not, not in any real capacity. 
So yeah, there was a long time there when he was a very young baby that I wasn't in his life for for good reason because I just wasn't I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't, I wasn't uh, present and I um I had to I had to get through it. I had to I had to find a way to cope with everything and the one thing I I always say is like you know obviously life doesn't happen on anyone's terms. You may have a kid you know, in nine months from any moment, you right. to sleep with someone. But um, the 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 point is, is like, if life doesn't happen on anyone's terms, you gotta just go with the punches. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. yes, do I regret missing that time with my son because I was in my addiction? Of course I do. Of course. Yeah, oh yeah, without that, saying. But that's yeah. the, that's the process, and I I. I know now that even now I have to stay vigilant about my addiction and I know that no matter how long it takes, it's worth it. No matter how long, like it literally it could, if it takes the rest of your life and you get like a couple years of clarity, it's worth it. Um, because like if anyone who knows who's lived in the fog of drugs knows it's no way to live. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, relapse is part of addiction. I think the average addict in America who tries significantly for over a year to get better relapses like 15 times. Um, wow. You know, relapse doctors, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, and I don't of have course. my numbers exactly right, but uh, I think relapse doctors have like a 15% success rate or something. I mean, like some cancer doctors have better success rates. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Uh, not to say like it's not that's a terrible comparison I'm just saying like addicts no going doctor to doctor you know, yeah yeah exactly just I mean it's a terrible success rate so right. I mean I you know I could go on and on but the, the doctors at the VA they're jaded they're complacent uh I think they need to be changed out as often as possible and have constant innovation um having what would one your way to deal with like I guess have you I'm thought sorry? about that? I said, have you thought about what your like dream VA hospital would look like? What should it look yeah, like? Um, it's in the, and it is getting better. Let me just say that. Um, it has steadily gotten better uh, since President Obama was in office. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, my dream VA would be uh, be able to pull up an app on my phone say um i'm having nausea i need to see someone or even have uh skype right there with a doctor Mm -hmm. um the problem is like it's becoming more accessible but i never see a doctor when i go to the va it's always a nurse practitioner or physician's assistant um and i i really don't like that they they may have training and they're good at their certain jobs, but I really feel disserviced by that. So okay. I want more doctors. Um, the VA has this propensity to have one doctor overseeing a dozen PAs and nurse practitioners. I think that's a terrible practice. I don't understand it. Uh, I myself am going through some serious health issues at the moment and I still haven't seen a doctor. Like I've only seen nurse practitioners and it's just crazy. So uh, that's what I would have, a d- like doctors ready for different ailments veterans face at all times. Um, 
quick story is my one of my friends, uh, a Marine veteran, Ren, who I worked with at REI, and he came hiking with us several times. Um, he he took his own life uh, not long ago. I mean, it was a while ago now, but not long in the grand scheme of things. Um, mm-hmm. And what happened was, uh, and it was a huge red red flags everywhere looking back and lessons learned big time but you know he went to a hospital he tried to check himself in he said look I'm suicidal I don't feel safe and they chalked him up as a drunk vet who needed to sleep it off and they let him go and they said go home sleep it off and instead of you know putting him in a bed where he could stay and be observed and he took his own life yeah he literally walked into the emergency room, said, I'm going to kill myself. And they said, you go, you don't go right ahead, basically. That's the way I see it. Um, so, you know, it's hard, though, because, like, at the same time, and I understand this, a lot of guys, and I've done it myself, we cry for help. So do you have to take every suicide threat and attempt seriously? Yes, you do. Are there guys who fake it? Yes, there are. So... But um, yeah, but that's an underlying cry for help. And now we got to get to the root of that. Like, that's the way that's my brain I see it. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter if it's a cry for help or a legitimate attempt. That person needs help. That's right. all it is to it. Yes, right. I agree with you. So <laughs> the perfect VA would not never turn a veteran away for anything. And I honestly, like, the, now that I'm saying it out loud, like it doesn't like I'm not asking for floating, you know, escalators and shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just I just want like the perfect VA would be so simple, like more doctors and make sure that when we go there, people someone actually hears us. They're not. But it's personalized care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just make it so that we felt loved and appreciated and cared for. It's just it's so sterile and generic and like um, not deserving of someone who's serving our country i mean it's just not well, not even that just not it's not really deserving of a human who needs help in any yeah. case yeah. you know what i mean like just yeah. just at that base level let alone it being veterans walking around you know it's just like i don't understand how you just turn humans away for that let alone people right. who have served this country so yeah absolutely. Um, oh, but it's a crazy. huge problem and it's a problem cannabis can tackle because cannabis is the great unifier in, in the veteran community, in my opinion. And uh, it's done such wonders for all the veterans that I've seen take it for PTSD and, and nerve damage and pain and uh, cysts and arthritis and everything that I've seen pop up. It's so good for it. And we're just scratching the surface of it. Yeah. So, um, I truly believe that it's a, it's cyclical, you know, you start improving veterans overall health with cannabis, then you will see an overall better VA because it will be less crowded. People, veterans will be healthier. They won't, they won't need as much. Um, therefore they'll get better, better quality of service. You can have more doctors, less nurse practitioners, cause you can actually pay doctors. Wow. Um, yeah, that's really well thought out. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, but at the crux of it all is cannabis and cannabis is just a plant. And those of us that use it are going, what is wrong with you? Why? How could you ever prohibit this in any way? But then the legislation people and the the politicians are going, 
either no, we don't want cannabis marijuana, we, we don't like it, we don't want it, we're not doing it, or the politicians that are for it are going, we're for this, we want it, we're going to do it, but it's going to take a long time, and here's why, because these this many people are incarcerated, and this many people are going to get out of jail for this, and then that's going to cause a change of chain reaction that's going to get these people out of jail, and it all goes back to money, and it's a very, very despicable and sad excuse for not letting cannabis have its day. Um, so, obviously, as you can see, I get passionate when I start talking about this. No, but, I uh, love that's, loving listening yeah. to it. It's, it's very good information. Oh, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, the point is that, like, most growers, most people who have started cannabis-style groups that I've met, we all become politicians now. Uh, yeah. If like you know, or lobbyists, or like if you're just if you're just growing weed, you're you're like most likely a politician of some kind, or have been to a city council meeting. And like, what else has ever brought you to a city council meeting? You know, or would have brought you to one? Probably nothing ever. Not you know, never unless you know you had to be there. But cannabis is getting us up off our butts and getting us you know to be activated, and that alone it's because it works. If it didn't work, right. no one would care. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's like the the lazy stoner stereotype is so far fetched. It's insane. Like Yeah. The, the one I always bring up is are um, just like go getters, like they're phenomenal. Right, totally. Yeah. And I remember them in the nineties. I remember them very well on the news saying that marijuana will give men uh breasts. Okay. Like I remember that so well. And I remember That's even like, like I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it on the news so much that I believed it. All um, right. Yeah. But it was just ridiculous. It's not true. I mean, it's, it's just not true. It's like completely not true. And I'm not a stupid person and they got me to believe it. So there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. That fear, that fear-based stuff. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Fear is, fear is a great motivator, but yeah. you know, being yeah. cyclical about it, that's where we come in because veterans walk and talk which I founded in 2016 with the intention of, you know, just getting veterans back to nature and the things that, that we love to do, which I know most vets that I know love nature. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win, but uh, you know, veterans walk and talk was founded in the, in the, in the sense that, you know, these are these things that aren't being spoken about. This is the place where you can come speak about them. Uh, You know, if, if you're having nightmares um, and you can't, you know, I will come walk with you on a trail and you can tell me all about it. You know, we'll see if we can tackle it together. Uh, you're essentially giving and, the care that you wish you would have received. That's basically exactly, what I'm hearing. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And which is, I mean, all nonprofits and charities are built because of a lack in society, right? I mean, if if we didn't, need to help the homeless we wouldn't have charities that needed to help the homeless right um so we yeah you're absolutely right veterans walk and talk was born of an of a need in our community that was not being met and the same similar same with weed for warriors or socal veterans coalition or operation evac operation 1620 any of these amazing veteran groups across the country it was all born of a need um, of us saying this is working and no one's doing it. So we're going to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing. And 
you know, veterans in the cannabis community are the low-hanging fruit, so we also have to be very careful. A lot of companies will say, you know, hey, we're helping vets, or hey, we're, you know, we're sponsoring, let's use Veterans Walk and Talk as an example. We're sponsoring veterans hikes, you know, let it, leave us alone. Don't don't worry about our pesticide or our, our, our you know, shady business practices uh, or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the business yeah, side of it, it always comes in. It's sketchy as hell, but it's the reality. It is the reality, and the reality is that this is a, a, a new industry, and a lot of people are coming out of the black market because they were forced there through prohibition, and so right. they're coming in with blinders on. And a lot of, unfortunately, those blinders are telling them to cut corners and do things that will um, get them ahead quicker. You know what I mean? Rather than doing it the right way. So uh, that's kind of like, so Veterans Walk and Talk was born of a need to fulfill veterans. In, in getting them back to nature, educating them about cannabis. And then, as I said, you know, we all became politicians because we just started seeing, well, hey, veterans walk and talk. That's great what you do. I wish I could do it, but I live in Nebraska. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's so unfair. It's, it's true. Like, I served the same people you did. I, I served the same country you did. I did the same things you did, but because you live behind this imaginary border, you can't do and enjoy the same liberties I am. That's just crazy to me. Um, So now because of our popularity in in the veteran community and and in particular the cannabis community, because we've become such a grassroots kind of iconic um, movement because of our, we allow all people to hike with us and we've done that for so long now, not just veterans. Um, because because we've done that, obviously we're going to use that voice to to further our cause. And Absolutely. so the Veterans Cannabis Coalition out of Washington, D.C., I'm on the advocacy board for that, and I've spoken at the Senate, uh, and I will do so again this year probably. Um, and, you know, I've gotten very involved in the politics side of this whole thing, and that's, I think, where Veterans Walk and Talk will lie next is that we're going to get our nonprofit status, um, establish farms in all four corners of the country where we can have political bases to get cannabis the, the due attention that it needs as well. Yeah. So. Is that your major dream, or do you have other ideas of what you would like to do with it as well? With Veterans Walk and Talk, if I had a, if I had, well, my five-year plan is to have one farm. My 10-year plan is to have four. So I would like to have four farms, um, you know, so no matter where you live in the country, there's one at least relatively close to you so you can get to it. Uh, The idea being that we'll have home chapters across the country and then these farms, members who have hiked and given enough back to the community will be eligible to go stay at these farms and learn from us and retreat there, take their families there, literally just escape there at the drop of a hat if they're just, like, things are just too much. Wow. I love that. What a yeah, that's, that's the ultimate goal. And we've had a, you know, we have such a great group of people. We have ideas. Every hike is another meeting, in a sense, where we throw out ideas for the future. And, um, you know, so many entrepreneurs have been born out of Veterans Walk and Talk or come to Veterans Walk and Talk to get uh, workers or advice or just we're testing cannabis now for a, um, a major grow operation, major, uh, fully compliant, and 
he's letting us test like over 30 strains to find the ones that work for us for PTSD and pain and all that stuff. And we have checklists and score sheets and uh, the ones that we like that go over a certain score we're sending in to be tested. So we'll know exactly what it is that's helping us. And so, I mean, these are, we're just, we're taking the bull by the horns and, you know, um, we're a hiking group. I don't want that to ever get lost on anyone, which it has, uh, at our core, we are a hiking group and an adventure group and that's what we'll always do. And if we're not doing that, then we're not succeeding. Um, but obviously when you take on a cause that's as great as this, you have to take on all that comes with it. And in this sense, it's, it's cannabis advocacy and, and veterans rights. Yeah. And that's just like you said, it's just, as much as it's done for the people in the group, it's done for the actual organization that you're creating with Veterans Walk and Talk. It just snowballs into more and more ideas of what you can do and what you can accomplish. And that's really cool. I'm so glad you're supported in this because, um, man, <laughs> you're like on the forefront of doing some major, major things. Well, that's the idea, right? I mean, and it's not just us. You know, this is a it's a group effort. I mean, I consider... I consider everybody who's ever hiked with us, whether it be from, uh, you know, from Bob Baker, from Wugu, all the way to, you know, to, uh, um, God, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it, to fatties, to, uh, to our, our private black market, people who have always supported us, to MJ's Wellness, who gives us, like, the most amazing cannabis uh, cancer treatment that we, we need for our vets. So, you know, like... It's been years now, and we've done a really good job of kind of cultivating a really good, accessible network of cannabis, you know, entrepreneurs and business people. So now that when you get seriously involved with Veterans Walk and Talk, you're getting more than just a hiking group. You're getting like a network of resource, which is really cool. And that's always been the goal. So awesome. Thank Your you. visions for everything sound very clear and like very attainable. Like you're definitely on the path to just, like I said, just trailblazing. Honestly, it's so cool. So cool though. Oh, that's sweet. And I believe it. I, I think you're right. I believe you. You know, I, I can see it. I can see it from your work and from, from what you've done and just, you know, just how open you are with your story. People are going to say, how can I help? And I guess that's my next right. question for the people not in California or not in, um, in prohibition states. How can they help? What do you need from other people with Veterans Walk and Talk? Yeah, definitely. So what, what we need is um, we need you to look to your local government and look at the people who are running on cannabis platforms who are pro-cannabis, and we need you to vote for them. We need, uh, we need people to stop thanking veterans with a handshake and start thanking them by vote, by getting elected officials voted into office who take cannabis seriously. And that is the number one way you can support us um, because you can literally do that from anywhere just by learning about cannabis law and, and taking action. But uh, the way that I always tell people to support us, the number one way is to watch out for us either in your local Los Angeles or Las Vegas, where we have our chapters, or while I'm traveling the country and come walk with us, because we have some decent support right now, and in the next year, we will be getting our nonprofit status, and then we will really start fundraising for real. Um, in the meantime, the best way that I can see my group being supported is by knowing, by my 
core members knowing they're supported. I don't know if that makes sense, but the way that they do feel supported is by people. And when I started opening these up to other, to supporters and civilians, that's when everything changed really Uh, that and picking up homeless vets is people started like veterans can come on the trail and for like three, four hours there, they can be around civilians and they kind of learn how to reacclimate themselves. And through this, like civilians, veterans, it's just this crazy network of advocacy and everything, like I said. Yeah, what a natural but, um, way to do it too. It's like no pressure. I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just, we, the until we are a tax-exempt nonprofit organization, which we will be in this next year, um, the best ways, if you are not able to come on a walk to support us and then voting is, I would definitely say uh, we work with an amazing woman who does homeless outreach on Skid Row. I want to talk about Miss Shirley so bad. Yeah, Miss Shirley. She's the best. She's a hero. She's not of this world. Yes. I'm trying to get her to come on. (laughs) Oh, you guys. I'll I'll put in a good word for you. Um, emailed back and forth and she's up for it just i i know how busy she is but man what an angel <laughs> just stay on top of her stay on top of her and just to remind her hey i'll give you a platform you can just go off talk about a homeless tell them what you want but um yeah, yeah she's an angel i mean i uh, living and she would hate she would hate that i say this right. about her but she's living breathing angel and uh she has this inherent need to help people she does more than, like, she does more than any social media could ever relay to, to anybody. Like, literally 20 hours of the day are spent giving to others. She has cooked spaghetti dinners for me to take hiking for guys. She has, um, you know, after a full day of serving the homeless, she'll go home and cook, like, a tin of spaghetti for one of my hikes. Like, uh I just, I don't really know how else to sing her praises. She is literally my hero. Um, but surely I found her on social media right as she was just starting to really gain momentum with Polly's Project and Project Coffee Cup and a future superhero, which are the people she kind of mentored with. And um, her approach was so different with, you know, looking at the beauty of everything rather than like, giving food, clothing and stuff, which is great, but like going there and providing them with humanity, you know what I mean? Like a little bit of, a little bit of R and R, like that really struck a chord in me. He's like Um, the actual human being of like a hug from mom, right? Like that's who she reminds me of. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And, and anyone, anyone who's ever gone out with her knows that she's the spokesperson, but the group that she has put together, um, Jackie, Deb, Kai, uh, Natarian, um, Yuri, all these amazing people, like, they all just have this way about them that certain homeless people, like, kind of attract to certain people, and they all just take care of their little section of people, and it's just the most beautiful thing to see, and uh, so, yeah, we started, I I found Shirley, and we started um, offering our help to her because she was just kind of low on manpower at the time. And also kind of like, it's skid row, things can get a little sketchy. So we were a group of veterans. We said, we'll come down. We'll kind of keep an eye on things. Um, 
but what it turned into was just like a, like purpose beyond purpose and yeah, the best things we've ever done I love it yeah uh I can say with with true sincerity that um helping Shirley is probably you know among the best things I've ever done with my life uh I I can look back on the the you know dozen or so times that I've gone out with her and and like every single time there was another person that touched my life in a positive in a like impactful and positive way um even when there were like fights and homeless people kind of hitting people or getting crazy, even then there were lessons learned and people were made to become friends out of these scenarios. Um, so just full circle. So we, uh, we help her as often as we can. We haven't done it in the past few weeks, but we are going to start doing it. And she goes out every single Saturday, every Saturday without fail and, it's only it's just the days that she advertises. She does it more than just Saturdays. But every Saturday, she and her group cook home-cooked food for the homeless, for 300 to 400 homeless people. Um, not just like, not just like you know, chicken tenders and mashed potatoes. Like they, she brings lasagna and and vegetable lasagna, and everything's fresh, made from scratch. And like you know, you get a choice. You want lasagna? You want pasta? Do you not like lasagna? Like. Again, all humanity. about bringing that humanity back, giving them the option, which is just like, it's such so a far. simple little thing, but it makes such a big difference to them because we're not just shoving lunch in their face and saying, hey, I know you're hungry. Just eat what I give you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but so, again, just bringing it back, asking how to support us. Um, Shirley is established and has her nonprofit status and a vast network of homeless individuals that she literally is the caretaker for in every possible way i mean like their home their food their well-being their the laughter that they get everything surely takes responsibility for so beauty to the streets it's uh beauty you know the number to the streets with a z um she can take uh cash app amazon she has an amazon wish list that goes directly to the homeless um, so if anybody hearing this wants to help veterans walk and talk, if anything that you help Shirley with directly helps veterans walk and talk. Because, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like you can donate to Shirley and, and, and know that like, because not only does she do the stuff that she does for the homeless, but her and, um, one of her partners, Melissa and Deb and a few others, which I, I'm sorry that I'm blanking their names right now, but, uh, They've started putting together groceries once a month for my veteran hikers. So we pick up, uh, we have a group of veterans who kind of are in and out of shelters that hike with us. Um, okay. And some, sometimes we have more than others, but uh, they get groceries every month now. And like really good, like chicken, farm-raised chicken, venison meat, uh, bacon, eggs, vegetables, um, fish shrimp all kinds of stuff we stock their fridge once a month and so yeah so that's like a really that's been become a really fun part of what we do as well which uh i always thought was cool because if you give them a, a fridge full of food they can spend a little extra money on some fun stuff or some good cannabis or you know treat their loved one or whatever so it goes a long way yeah it goes a long way for in so many different directions for for someone's yeah. life for sure definitely Oh my gosh, this is wild. I'll put all of um, 
your information, obviously, and Shirley's um, in, in all the posts that we do about this, because man, I would love to just help, 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 help um, from Texas if I can. And once that nonprofit's going, I would love to see what we could pull together here in Dallas. Cause yeah, definitely. I mean, more chapters and in Dallas, definitely. I mean, that's because like I said, veterans walk and talk, it's a hiking group. So if let's say cannabis isn't legal in a state where we open a chapter, then bam, we have a group of advocates who can go and take care of some stuff and help get voters motivated. Right. Um, yeah. Thing that would who be. are integrated in the community and, and active and helping the homeless and everything. And like, really, what are you going to say to like a group of 20 veterans who are helping homeless people smoking cannabis and saying it works? Are you really going to tell them no? Like, no, it doesn't work. I don't think so. So yeah. um, we want to get more and more veterans out there saying they're proud cannabis users and this is what's helping me and I don't care, but it's hard. Um, a lot of veterans have government jobs or uh, they've been threatened that their disability will be taken away if they piss hot for any kind of illicit drug. So it's just, it, there's, a, there's so much work to do um, and we're just scratching the surface. But I feel like, I feel like in the next few years, it's really going to be, it's going to be sink or swim. We're either going to, you know, get cannabis right and then we're going to start helping the people that deserve to be helped. Mm -hmm. or um, it's going to go right back to uh, it'll be the black market will thrive and people will still get the help, but uh, there'll be Budweiser cannabis, you know, and then, and then there'll be medicine. So there's a few different ways to look at it, but um, one way or another, there's just a lot of work to do. So. Yeah, there is. And that means that there's something for everybody can do that, you know, a spot for everybody to help, to help move the movement forward. Um, exactly. Oh, and like microdosing, you know, microdose, microdose, take, take cannabis every day. If you're a veteran hearing this and you, you're, uh, you're considering cannabis and have never tried it. Like literally you just take a few drops of CBD every day and like four to six weeks, you will notice differences in your life. And I mean, cannabis CBD, uh, hemp CBD is great, but, um, it's not, I don't know. I haven't found as many good, good uses for it. It's no, not, a, a, not a, a for sure yeah there's a big difference to me people say that there isn't but there is i i'm with you on that one and as microdosing yeah. mom i support microdosing so we're good thank you yes i figured <laughs> yeah i figured so yeah microdosing changed my life mj's yeah. wellness uh okay. tincture I, I used to look for these tinctures that were so strong but this one is like 0.75 milligrams per squirt and for some it's just the best medicine on the planet perfect dose that's awesome yeah, yeah. awesome um, I came across your site, Laughter Under Fire, which, and I fell in uh -huh. love with your writing. You're an excellent writer. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, real talent there for sure. And I didn't realize that you also created and produced a documentary under that same name. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, yeah, and uh, that's actually a greater idea that's that's going to be coming out as well. But um, so yeah, I did a I did a documentary short one called Laughter Under Fire. It's on YouTube under that name. It was made for uh, ABC television during a, uh, a, a movement they did called Home for the Holidays, where they were showcasing veteran filmmakers during the Christmas time. And how it came that. about was being, being in the entertainment industry, I was at a AA meeting with one of the producers at ABC and I, she heard my story and she came to me and said, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to pick five veterans to make films and you're going to be the first one. 
So wow. that was that. And I, so they gave me a $50,000 budget and told me I could tell any story I wanted, fiction, nonfiction, whatever I wanted. And I always wanted to do this laughter under fire where I kind of like show these funny videos from Afghanistan that we did. And because we used to make each other laugh so hard over there, it was like our biggest coping mechanism. Um, so ABC was like gracious enough to do that and help me make it. Um, it is for ABC family kind of thing. So I didn't get to show it as raw as I'd like to, but uh, the idea is sound um, that, you know, veterans, people, humans, we use art to cope with everything, laughter, comedy being no exception. And uh, so the Under Fire series is an idea I have to do like poetry under fire, music under fire, uh, painting under fire, whatever it is that veterans are using that's artistic to cope, we would showcase it in a brief documentary. So that's kind so of cool. a greater idea. Wow, wow. Yeah, if you get a chance, guys, uh, go over to laughterunderfire.org and scroll down and read um, his post on called My Safe Place is War. Oh, my gosh. That, like, blew me away. That one just, oh, like, you. hit me out the heels. <laughs> I so. appreciate that. No, that's really sweet of you to say, too. Uh, I Actually, writing is one of my greatest passions. And I can tell. I'm be doing a lot more <laughs> of it. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. As a writer to a writer, I can tell it's you, it comes through. It's it's really really exactly. well done. Exactly, really exactly. Well and we always writers always have good conversation too. So <laughs> you're you're on the right track with everything. I think. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I yeah. Appreciate no, that. thank you for showcasing everything you're showcasing. It's it's a privilege. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you you know said yes and that we were able to do this. Um, what I do with all my guests is I go through James Lipton's top 10 questions from inside the actor's studio. Um, Cause I just oh. love those questions so much. So we're going to take a quick break. And if you're up for a call in, uh, we'll come right back and I'll ask you those questions. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we are back and I want to get started. Um, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is hashish. <laughs> and why is that? Well, I just, I like that word. I like hashish. I like the concentrate and I've named my dog hashish. So right now my favorite word. And I just, I say it all the time. I, I name, I call him Shishi now. He's named Shishi. So yeah. Yeah, go watch right this story under hash dog, right? It's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't he the best? Yeah. So uh, sweet. Yeah. 40 Gosh. pounds of hash. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What's your least favorite word? My least favorite word is moist. I'm one of those guys that doesn't like that word. I think there's like, I think I read like third of the population doesn't like the word moist. And when they hear it, they get like, and I'm yeah, they're scared. I don't like that like word. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a prude. I'm not a, I'm not a turn. Like I just, for some reason, that word. And then, uh, I, I think moist, moist. Right now, that's my least favorite word. <laughs> um, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Connection. Um, connection to whatever it is I'm doing, whether it be watching like a Marvel film or a Netflix documentary or talking with a veteran or anything. I have to connect to it uh, or connect to you. Or I'll just tune out. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're not a surface person at all. Like I like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, 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 I can be, I mean, I'll, if that's how you want to be and we can keep it, how's the weather, that kind of thing, I'm fine with it and I'll fake my way through it. But, uh, but it doesn't like get any, you going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm definitely looking for connection. Definitely. Yeah. When's your birthday? I'm just curious. Okay. Okay. Taurus. Yeah. I'm married to a Taurus. That's why I was asking. And I have a son that's a Taurus. I'm like, okay, this is Oh, yeah. Stubborn. We're stubborn the bull. Oh, that's awesome. What turns you off? What turns me off? Bullying. Uh, Bullying, using power to gain things over other people. Um and not owning up to mistakes because you feel like it'll show weakness. I, that really bothers me. Yeah. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Yeah, being an infantryman, it's fuck. It's like, <laughs> fuck, fuck can mean, I mean, it can mean like, fuck yeah, it can mean, but it can, it can also just be like a whole sentence, you know what I mean? Like, I could hear another bet say fuck and like I just like yeah man that that burrito was bad. I get it. So yeah. Awesome. What's a sound or a noise that you love? Rain. I know it's cliche, but I'm sitting outside right now and it's raining on the canopy and I'm really enjoying it. Good. What's a sound or noise you hate? babies crying crying um dogs in pain dogs crying uh yeah and i actually yeah i think dogs dogs crying in pain is probably the worst sound in the world did you think that stems from your time in afghanistan because you mentioned dogs then too that you remember seeing them dying i think it definitely does i think i mean i've always had a deep connection to animals and dogs always had dogs my whole life so i think that just that coupled with what I went through over there is, is why. That makes sense. Why, because, yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I would really like to direct a feature film someday. Uh, if I had, if I could choose, I would love to write and direct my own like actual feature with a legitimate budget and, take my time and really know what I was doing. And uh, that was always a dream of mine to direct. Would it be about? Um, God, I have so many stories, but uh, I suppose at this point it would be interesting to kind of, I mean, I, my story is interesting. I grew up in the theater, joined the infantry, drug addict, cannabis, all this stuff. It's interesting. So I don't know, maybe I would tell my own story. Yeah, and I love how full circle it is going back to like your roots, <laughs> but in, like a different yeah, way. Totally. To, like, yeah, I exactly. Love that. Yeah, on my own terms, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like such yeah. good redemption. I love that. Yeah. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Um, sanitation. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I have a huge respect for garbage men and people who clean up. Uh, you know, vomit or anything at hospitals, stuff like that. Like, I have huge respect for people that do that, but I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> so, we dealt with a lot of trash in Afghanistan, burning it ourselves in burn pits and stuff, and it was just so off-putting. So I, I don't envy them. Or what? Is that all of it? 
all of it, just collecting it, burn, like, you know, every, just every aspect of it. It's just, it's waste, you know? So you, it's like, yeah, yeah. You're not like singing songs and hanging out around it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So, and I, and I think humans are way too wasteful anyway. And I know I'm no, I'm pretty wasteful as myself. Like I'll grab like three paper towels when I clearly only need one, you know? Right. Well, before we finish up, um, this is the very last question, but I just want to say it's been such an honor talking to you. Thank you so much. I, I really have enjoyed our conversation. And Same here. Thank good. you. No, it's the pleasure has been all mine, really. I, I hope that I gave you enough, and I hope I didn't drone uh, uh, on too long. <laughs> no, everything was wonderful. I, I, I can't thank good. you enough. So. Yeah, before no. we so go. The feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you very much, Colin. I appreciate that. Um, yes heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates i would like him to say here there's no back pain (laughs) (laughs) it's not bad yeah we got headaches we got vomiting we got cold but no back pain (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding um but yeah i think I think right now that would be music to my ears, if I could be honest. My back's been hurting pretty bad, so no back pain would be nice. Well, I hope you find relief soon. I hope that your next um, walk that you have on the schedule goes amazing, and I just wish continued growth both for you and for Veterans Walk and Talk. I I really, truly do. Thank you. Likewise, growth to you, many listeners, and, you know, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm more than willing to touch base with you again in the future. Oh, I plan on it for sure. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. For more content, follow along at havetheconvo.podcast on Instagram or email me at havetheconvo at gmail.com to share your story. Till next time.